Welcome to the Vita Voices Power to Empower podcast series, where we're speaking with women leaders from around the world about their bold ideas, their courageous leadership, and their thoughts on the way forward. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. It's estimated that 11 women are murdered in Mexico every single day. Mexico is in the midst of a crisis of femicide, the murder of a woman or girl due to their gender. And women across the country and the world are calling for the crisis to come to an end. Our guest today is intimately familiar with what's going on in Mexico. Adriana Inejosa Cespedes is a former Congresswoman who today works in the Special Prosecutor's Office for Gender-Based Violence Crimes in the state of Mexico. With her background in law, she works at the municipal and state levels to create and develop public policies that ultimately help women feel safe in public spaces. Adriana is part of our VV Engage program at Vital Voices. She's committed to ending gender-based violence and is working hard to support survivors and create systems for them that seek justice. Adriana, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to chat with you. It's always a pleasure. So to start, can you tell us about this, the femicides that have been happening in Mexico? Um, it has felt like a real increase, certainly in recent years. Or, or is this, is this a, a longstanding issue? How is it the issue affected by COVID? Well, I think that uh, the femicide is a longstanding issue. We have had this, uh, these crimes for a long time, but it has increased during the last uh, few years, especially by COVID. I don't have the official numbers, but I would like to tell you about my weekend because just between Saturday and Sunday, I received a call on Saturday at 3 a.m. from one of the gender police from a municipality I work with. And this officer told me that they had found um, four women. They were all killed and they were mutilated and in a house. It was 3 a.m. So we had four and about 6 a.m. when I woke up and I was checking my phone. I saw that a family, a mother, a, a young uh, daughter, maybe 16, and a baby, one year and a half, were the three of them were killed by the former partner. The baby was left in a big pile of, of water so that he drowned. So just in one night, we had seven um, deaths, no violent deaths of, of women and children. So that's what's happening in Mexico. So the things are getting really hard here. It does also seem that these crimes are increasingly getting more gruesome. What do you think has changed? I think that uh, it has many, gender-based violence has many issues and, and many causes, but I think that one thing that's happening, especially in our country, is that women are standing for themselves, they're getting out, and there's this male power that do not want us to, or do not want to us to, or allow us, sorry, to, to have a voice, to, to make ourselves heard, to make decisions. So I think that's one of the main reasons things have been really hard for women and feminicides are being crueler by the day. No, we now they're using 
acid or they are burning women. So, and we didn't see that phenomenon on the past year. So it's been really hard. Wow. And I know that there's been some really intense protests around government inaction as well. Can you describe some of those protest efforts and what they're calling for and why they're receiving a lot of pushback? Yes, I, I wanna say that I'm really proud of the Mexican women and, and I'm proud of being a Mexican woman because especially on the March 8th, the, the real protest started a year before you know, when we all went on strike we couldn't make a strike this year because of COVID, but uh, we there were very a lot of protests. But the president, a few days before March 8th, he made a big wall. It was a, really a gigantic wall all around National Palace, which is the main building in the country. And it went through many streets. That was like the 5th of March, March 5th. And then on the 6th, the women came out and they covered the wall with the names of victims. So mm -hmm. it was uh, filled. And on March 7th, they covered the names with flowers and uh, purple ribbons and green ribbons. And in the night with the projector, they made like this big um, projection on, on the wall that said, Mexico is a feminicide country and we want our rights and we will not be silenced it was really it was really very emotional and on the 8th there was a, a big march and it was hard but but the wall they they put, they teared down parts of the wall so i think it's very powerful and i think that um the that the main message is that we are here and that we will not be silenced and that women in Mexico are not alone anymore because we are all together. And I think that uh, that is something that makes the president nervous. He, he mm. doesn't want that. He doesn't want women taking decisions and he doesn't want women speaking for, for themselves or for ourselves. So it was really very hard. And after this 8th of, uh, of March, March 8th, We've been having a lot of protests and marches. Just in my state, we've been having and following like 150 different marches all over the state because women are now going out and they are claiming for justice and they are claiming for security and they're claiming uh, to be free and to be safe. And, and I think that's very good and that's very powerful for all of us. Wow. So, you know, I know, um, obviously, violence against women, whether it be domestic violence, femicide, honor crimes, rape is a weapon of war. I mean, it is, it is certainly, in my opinion, one of the greatest pieces of unfinished business when it comes to achieving equality for, for women. We've seen progress in some areas, although too slow, and certainly a lot of setbacks this year around women's progress and rights. But this is an area that seems to be getting worse. And this is an area where you have dedicated your life. How do you, how do you approach this work when you feel as though it's getting worse, not better? I have to keep faith, <laughs> always keep faith. And, and 
not only me, because I think there's like this big group of women that we are now working on this issue. And I really think that every night when, when we go to bed and we, and we know that a, a family or a child or a woman is now safe and, and that we could do something for them, it gives us a lot of hope. So we're working on that. We work on a daily basis, um, thinking that maybe we couldn't save one, but we saved another. So that's how we're starting uh, working. And we have also developed these uh, new public policies and ideas. We, become so, we became some creative because we want to change things. And, and I think that being surrounded by other women that have the same commitment and, and, they, and, and seeing their example every day, it gives us, all of us, a lot of strength. And, and that's uh, something I am really thankful for because sometimes you just feel defeated. <laughs> you, know, you, you feel lonely, you feel sad, mm. but you know that you're not alone. Mm. It's so, so critically important. And I think Mexico is incredibly blessed to have someone like you who is able to see the silver lining um, and, and the progress that's being made. Even in such horrific times, reading these calls at 4 a.m., as you say. Talk a little bit about how you got into the work that you do. Um, I've always been like very social inclined and, and when, when I was uh, a congresswoman, I always tried to do something for those who had less than me. I think something I, I got from my mother. But after finishing my, my second term in, in Congress, I was first in the, in the federal Congress and then in the state Congress, I had the opportunity to start working in a, in a municipality as the, the head of the Women's Institute. And I really had the, the, the chance and the blessing of knowing so many women and being so close to, to so many victims that I realized that this is really a very important issue and that it is an issue that was not at the moment, I'm talking about five years ago, it was not uh, visualized or it was becoming really normal. So I think that the compromise that I got uh, when I started working with, with women, with uh, victims, it gave me like all the, all the sense in my life. I don't know how to say it, but, but it, gave me, it gave me a reason. And mm. I'm convinced that this is my calling and, and now I can do it on the state level, which is really good. And, and I think I'm in the best place to do it because here we, we give justice, we, we help women with justice. So, mm. and, and I also think it's like, like not a drug or something that makes you be there and always wanting to help so it's really it's it has been really amazing and, and I don't see myself doing anything else. So I know that some of the recent murders and violence have targeted women political leaders um, in particular and we know that it seems that the more sort of political power and clout that women gain the more of a voice that we gain in in the you know, in that public sphere of political decision-making that may have previously been dominated by men, the more that violence and threats continue to rise, whether they be threats online or threats in real life. Can you talk a little bit about um, 
why you think women um, are women in, in political leadership are being targeted? Yeah, well, for instance, in Mexico, we already have this 50-50 law on the constitution and on many, well, on all um, state laws. So now we have to have the 50% women candidates. And in writing, it's like very good. But in the real life, men are angry because they don't want us to be running office so for office. So um, I believe that this has um, made what's happening. We have states in, our, in my country like Oaxaca or, or Michoacán or states that still have like this indigenous population and they're killing candidates. In my state, we don't, fortunately, we don't have any women candidate killed, but we have a lot of complaints and legal uh, files against men because of the, of the women candidates. I'm, I'm in charge of this strategy to give like, to be following our candidates, no matter the, the party. And I've seen an, uh, an increase and, and something that worries me is that women don't know how to react. They're still very afraid to come to the authority and say that they're being harassed or they're being, they're even suffering from political violence. So we're having elections next month on the 6th and 20 days, we have 20 days to reach all these candidates and help them so they can go. And when they get into power, because I'm sure many women will get into office next, uh, next year, to support them and help them because when they're when you're in office and, and that happened to me when you're in office and you're a woman and you're outspoken and you try to do a difference men don't like that they want you to be like in women's issues uh, and i'm not saying the big issues no I, i'm saying this like domestic issues because they believe you, you can't be on security or budget or whatever no so i think that it's like a very big challenge for all of us in, in the country to see what's going to happen on, on June 6th. Mm. Mm. So obviously, as we know, um, COVID has had a huge impact on, on the increasing numbers of violence against women. And the last time that you and I spoke on this podcast, at least, we had talked about that and how, you know, really, being, you know, locked in lockdown, you know, uh, it is that perfect recipe um, for violence. Uh, and obviously when people lose jobs, when things are unknown and anxiety, anxiety is heightened, um, we see an increase. Can you describe how the pandemic has affected the efforts to curb gender-based violence? I think that um, a year after the, the, the podcast we had, things have changed in, in slightly because now I can say that COVID closed so many things, but it opened other things. And I can say but what I do and we do it here at, at, at our office, and we started developing these strategies to make women feel safe and to file for legal complaints. So as I told you before, we started all these alternative ways to, to, to make your legal complaints by phone, by email, by an app, by, uh, I don't know, um, 
on social media, but we also made, and, and we made it last year, we made that any woman, woman sorry, who calls 911 immediately gets uh, a legal complaint. Even uh, she gets security and the police because that's what she wants in this emergency situation, but she also um, gets a legal complaint and that helps us because we give her the security measures we believe she needs. And that's, it has increased our, our, play, our uh, legal complaints, but mm. it has also increased safety because now we send them this special measure by email or by WhatsApp. And she knows that if she's in danger, she can call the police and, and that's really good. And something that we also developed is that we talk with the judicial system with the judges, because in Mexico, some of the protection measures need to go through a judge. For instance, if you want to take the aggressor out of the house, you have to ask for permission for, from a judge. And before it took like 15 days to get that permission. So now we made like this online court and we get this permission in about four hours. So we are getting the, the aggressors out of the, of the homes. And that gives us a lot of, of um, well, it's, it's good for the women because they feel safe. And usually you know that women cannot get away from their, from their homes because they don't have a, a, anywhere to go and they don't want shelters. Most of the women don't want to go to a shelter because they are afraid and, and they think that children will miss school. And it's, it's like a very hard decision. So now we're taking the aggressors out and that's been very successful. So things have been changing in Mexico and it's getting better. We had uh, our rates in COVID are being uh, decreasing so we're started to we're opening now but i think that these strategies will stay and they will be very good for women at least in my state so i think that's that's been good and and that's given a lot of hope to to women uh, here in in the state of mexico what does what does real change look like for you is there a moment where you think you will say, okay, you know, my work here is done. What do you hope to leave behind for the many generations to come after you? I, I think there, that the, the timing will come and it usually has been like that in my life. I, I have this like decision moments, but they have been like, everything gets into place. So I'm sure that when I am I'm a woman of faith. I believe in God. And I think that when God thinks that I do not, I'm will be serving in another place, he will make me um, an announcement any anyhow. So um, but I will if if I would think of what I would like to to leave here is two things. Uh, one is um, helping people in the, in my environment, because I work with police officers, I work with investigation police, it's a very harsh environment. And we have a lot of burnout issues within the office. So I would love to help create this, this sense of, of um, commitment with our victims to stop um, victimizing them again, because it's a, a very 
strong issue we have here. So we're working on developing ideas to make them, to make our team workers and, and co-workers being a lot more empathic of what's going on. And from the outside, I would love to see that women know that they can reach for help and they don't, and that they know where to reach for help because this is still an issue. Women do not know where to reach for help. And, and that's very, very sad for them. Adriana, one last question. How do you use your power to empower? What is your power and how do you use it to empower? I really thought about that one. And I think that my power is that I have, I'm very empathic and I have a very empathic way of leadership. And that helps me in building teams. I'm a good team builder and I'm a doer. I, I like things getting done. So I think that when you treat your fellow coworkers, especially when you work, as I was saying before, with the, the, the persons I work with, when the environment makes them sometimes feel like they're like, uh, they only have to obey orders because that's what the police do. Uh, and when you make them feel important and wanted and loved, we've seen a different thing and, and something has converted them in, in, in them. And I also have gained their respect because I feel very, very proud about it because most of them are men. So working with men with those backgrounds and with guns and everything and being a, a woman and, and well, being, you know me, no, I'm short and whatever. So it's been like this conquest, you know, or conquer them every day. And I've seen really good results. So I think that's my power and that's what I want to to work with them, to make them feel important. And what they do is really, really important for the lives of women. Mm. Adriana, we are incredibly blessed to have you doing the work that you do every day. And just, I'm so thankful that you're part of our network and that you can share so much of what you've done and your experiences and your leadership style and your deep commitment with so many other leaders across the network. So I wish you the very best of luck and I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon in person. Thank you so much for having me really. And thank you for all that you've done for, for myself and for the women in Mexico. Really, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. If you'd like to support our work with women leaders who use their power to empower others, you can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org, or you can text VITAL to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. See you next week.